Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Matt Reister with the CC Podcast Conversations. Got Andrew in the office with me. How you doing, Andrew? Good, man. How are you? Awesome. So today we're going to hear an interview between myself and Greg Hinselman. And Greg Hinselman is a guy who was kind of my supervisor or my boss when I was working for Power to Change Digital Strategies. Power to Change is the Canadian arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I worked for them for several years on contract, working with their digital strategies. You can hear about those, I think, at the end of our announcements Mm -hmm. on this podcast. We're still promoting them. Great ministry. But I was blessed And the Lord saw fit to put Greg in my life through that. He's a great mentor and a great friend, learned a lot from him, and thought he would be a really interesting interview. You've listened to the interview a lot more recently than I did it. Yeah, right. What do you remember from that 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 struck you? Yeah, um, I thought I was was fascinated, number one, by uh, just the path that that the Lord took him on, right? I mean, going to college uh, in in Baylor um, and then – kind of God leading him into to campus missions work um, and then, uh, you know, ending up meeting and, and marrying a gal from Canada and, and now um, doing a lot of that same work, um, you know, in Canada and then and then branching out into the to the online platforms. I thought that just his path uh, was really interesting. Um, and then he he's a deep thinker, right? I mean, he's a lot of the, the stuff he kind of talks about. It's got got some weight to it. And and um, it's it's you know it's it's nice right you you don't you don't always just kind of want to hear the 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 light kind of um easy stuff to think about you want to hear somebody who who um sort of makes you stop and reflect and and think and reflect on your own uh your own views and and just you know how you can maybe deepen your own walk with with god and um so yeah i just i enjoyed uh i enjoyed hearing that and and hearing kind of what he had to say on those fronts Greg is a big picture guy. I mean, that's what I benefited yeah. so much from him on is in terms of, he wrote a book called, what are you trusting God for? We talked about some of that in the yeah. interview. Yeah. It was pretty fresh. I think after it was, he published it not too long before the interview. So that was uh, one of the big things you guys talked about. Yeah. And he, uh, he, he's just constantly calling people to have great kingdom impact in their lives and to think bigger than we would normally think, kind of pushing right. the boundaries of our vision for how God wants to use us. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my son and I were on a flight to, I think I told this story mm-hmm. in the interview, but we were on a flight to London. Right. And I'm reading his book. And just the illustrations, the people who hear this will get a taste of how Greg communicates, but he's just kind of very dry and candid and in a way really funny. And he, he tells an illustration um, related to Bill Gates, and you'll hear it in the interview. Mm-hmm. But I was, it was the middle of the night. I'm on this flight, and I couldn't contain I was laughing out loud because it was such like an understated, sarcastic yeah. point that he was making. And uh, I could just hear Greg. And I just appreciate the, uh, the candor 
with which he writes and communicates and just he doesn't present himself as anything special. He just is who he is. Sure. And it's so refreshing and it had a huge impact on me. As somebody who flies overnight to London a few times a year, I, I hope you're laughing was quiet and subdued. It wasn't. That was the problem. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm glad I was on a different flight then. And it's hard enough to sleep on those things. No, I, I, I agree with you. And, and the the way that he um, he sort of just calls himself and, and all of us out on on um, sort of underutilizing uh, our connection with God, right? We, um, <laughs> we, we set our sights way too low on so many kingdom-based things. And, uh, and he mentioned that with sort of having impact on, you know, how many people we can have an impact on, uh, some fundraising things he brought up, you know, that why not shoot for the moon? Uh, because look who's on our side. And, Very practical. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we talked about this in the interview as well. You'd have to remind me, but about one time I was just telling him real honestly, like my prayer life is not great. Mm-hmm. And he gave me this really practical system yeah. of yep. prayer. So you don't get overwhelmed. Right. And I remember one of the things, do I give detail in the interview? On yeah. That? The, the one, two, three, four yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Yep. It was so, it was so practical and so um, encouraging because it gave me permission yep. to not like beat myself up for having a short yep. attention span or <laughs> right. Right. not having some crazy long 35 minute prayer time every morning. Right. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the idea that, that, um, you know, you can stop praying for things after a while too, and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, and, and you it's know, like, oh, I can. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't. Th- I thought I had to keep praying the same prayers for the rest of my life until right. we get answered. Right, right. Continue to add on to an ever growing list of. But no, it's yeah. I agree. No, that he 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 does. He's he just comes across uh, just as somebody who um, I can totally see this in in kind of your connection with him. You spend a little bit of time with him. And you're you're just definitely going to grow in in some way in your faith, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that's a gift in and of itself, right? And 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 hopefully some of that shines through this interview for anybody listening. Yeah. One other thought before we turn it over to the interview. Another thing that Greg did for me that was great is I'm kind of this weird guy who doesn't really fit with systems and structures and schedules very well. That's why I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he basically affirmed that in me and gave me permission to be who I am. Yeah. And he would, he would say like, you got to get your work done. I mean, oh, sure. obviously. Right. But it's like, if you're not on the clock at like eight thirty AM yeah, and you are on the clock from 11 to 12 PM, that's fine, dude. Like, right. Exactly. Do what works. And, and like, kind of like, yep. yeah, I'm your supervisor and I need to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you're accountable to God right. more than you're accountable to me. Exactly. So, just so refreshing exactly. to not get try to get squeezed into some box that is fabricated by who knows what right right some some society made uh parameters that that don't really work and don't really need to apply uh yeah and and yeah i i totally agree by the way thank you for being here to cover some of those bases <laughs> well thank you for uh for being flexible on what time we can get our stuff done because you and i both uh I don't think either of us have been here at 8.30 for quite a long time. So (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, enjoy the interview. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our other interviews, too. There's a lot of great stuff on the CC Podcast Conversations. And have a good day. Hey, 
everybody. How are we doing today? Matt Reister with the CC Podcast, and today is another first. Uh, we are interviewing somebody by phone. You know, it's coronavirus, and uh, it's social distancing, and I've tried to avoid phone or remote interviews. I just think it's better face-to-face. That's why I drove down to Kansas City last week to interview Pastor Phil Hopper, which, by the way, if you haven't heard that interview, you need to. It was phenomenal. Phil had a ton of great things to say. And uh, that's on the CC podcast. You can you can do that. While you're at it, you might as well subscribe to this thing so you get notifications whenever a new piece of content comes up. So today, I've got a, a guy uh, who you probably haven't heard of, but he's he's great, and you're going to remember this. Greg Hinselman, who has been with Power to Change for quite a while, and uh, he came into my life when I was. I'm still working with Power to Change a little bit, but when I was there. Uh, more of full-time with what was then the Life Project, uh, online digital evangelism and discipleship strategy. It's now named Power to Change Digital Strategies. But Greg and I got hooked up through that. He's been kind of a mentor to me and uh, pushed me in some ways. And so I'm thankful, Greg, that you're here and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, uh, Greg, how did you get to Power to Change? Let's just dive in right there. Yeah, as a student, I went to school at Baylor University down in Texas, and um, I wanted to hang around people that wanted to make a difference in the world. I uh, had gone into university with a vision. God had given me a passion to have an impact on the world for Jesus. I had no idea what that was going to look like. Um, But uh, as I just kind of met different people in different groups, I found that um, the students with Campus Crusade uh, at the time were some of the most passionate about sharing their faith with their friends, impacting the world. And I thought, I want to hang out with these guys. And then as I approached graduation, you know, deciding a whole bunch of different ideas, I felt like I needed the training that a Campus Crusade could offer and uh, loved their vision. So I ended up joining staff um, way back in 1989 and um, started off at the University of Georgia and then uh, been in Canada for the last uh, 20-some years. So uh, loved it. So Power to Change is the Canadian arm of Campus Crusade for Christ. Probably everybody doesn't know that who's listening to this. Uh, it, most people know what C- Campus Crusade for Christ is. It's been around for a long time. started by Bill Bright uh, over in Los Angeles way back in the day. But Power to Change is exactly Campus Crusade for Christ except the Canadian arm of it. And uh, so you started right. out with crew in the U.S. You're an American citizen, born and raised in the U.S. Then yeah. you married a Canadian gal, right? That's right, yeah. And, and and I'm talking to you, uh, Greg lives up by Toronto. What's the suburb exactly? Uh, it's called Georgetown. Awesome. Yeah, so as as we've talked over the years, Greg, your experience at Baylor is a little bit like mine at the University of Northern Iowa, and actually it's kind of ironic because in the last few days I've gotten connected to some of my buddies that were part of that ministry group that I got plugged into early on uh, during my UNI years. And there was just kind of a revival that happened on that campus. God brought together some phenomenal spiritual leaders, and he brought together some of us kids that just had an affinity and a chemistry and and some large group worship stuff exploded on campus. It started with a little rinky-dink FCA chapter, Fellowship of Christian Uh Athletes, that really didn't have a leader. And then uh, the Navigators came in and helped kind of grow that. But the fruit that was born at that time and has continued to have impact really around the world is is staggering. And I've just been reminded that in the last few days as I've been in contact with some of these buddies. But talk a little bit more about your experience at Baylor. Yeah, it was the same thing. I mean, there was a few of us who were getting together and praying that, you know, here's a campus that has a number of Christians on the campus, has a rich Christian heritage. 
And we said, God, we think our campus can be used to have an impact all over the world. And we fact, in fact, we think that our campus could be one of the greatest sending grounds of Christian workers in the world. And so we started praying regularly that God would use us to have an influence on the world for Jesus. And, uh, you know, we had some phenomenal leaders uh, down there. Um, some of the guys that I had the privilege of spend, spending time with, uh, my friend Todd Harper, who now runs Generous Giving. Um, there's a guy named David Wills, who ran, um, was one of the leaders with National Christian Foundation. Uh, Louis Giglio was there at the time. Another guy named Jimmy Seibert, who is uh, one of the most prolific church planters um, in North America, and he's planting all over the world. So God connected me with some really amazing people. And, and just like you, I I keep encountering. I just the other day came across the, the name of a friend, a guy named Vivin Poole, who played football. And Vivin today is a missionary over in Japan. And, and uh, you know, I keep bumping into all these people that, you know, I knew back in the day at Baylor, and they're serving Jesus somewhere in the world. So it's pretty cool. Wow. I, I got to tell this story. So I grew up in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which is where the University of Northern Iowa is at. And so after graduation, after my senior year, that was 1994, I'm getting ready to go into UNI, and this this guy and his wife, Jim Luby and Beth Luby, he's now uh, a leader in the Navigators College Ministry nationally. And uh, Jim was kind of getting a start on things, and he knew that myself and another buddy of mine, Zach, were local kids, and we would probably be involved in ministry stuff because, uh, you know, he, 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 was, he and his wife came to the church that we were raised at. And so he sits, uh, he sits down with us. This is before school started in the fall of 1994, just recent high school grads. I don't know what our idea of college was going to be, but I mean, we weren't going to go crazy and party, but, but it right. certainly wasn't change the world for Christ. I mean, yeah, right. we, we want to follow Jesus and we want to have an impact for the gospel, but I mean, let's not get too crazy here. And uh, we sat down at a pizza hut and he started drawing out things on napkins. I remember he was talking about the, the, the discipleship funnel, you know, Jesus ministered to the 5,000, and then he sent out the 72, and then he had the 12, and then there were Peter, James, and John, who were even more intimate. Yeah. And he's going yeah. through all this stuff. And this is like level 301 stuff. I've never even thought of this stuff. And right. uh, and my buddy Zach and I are sitting there, and I remember, I remember Jim saying to us, we believe that the University of Northern Iowa just exactly what you said, Greg, can be a sending ground for the gospel to the nations. Wow. And we're going to have cool. impact all over the world. And I remember leaving that meeting at Pizza Hut with Jim and going, that guy's pretty cool, but he's a little ambitious and a little too <laughs> into this stuff. <laughs> and what's nuts is when you look at what the Lord has done through dozens or scores of students that were at UNI at that time, it's literally taken the gospel around the world. It's insane. Wow. Very, very cool. You know, I think, I think that, I think there's too few people that are thinking that way. I think that God, um, that, that kind of a vision of seeing a campus be a sending ground of missionaries to go to the world to bless the nations. I mean, that's really God's vision for Abraham and for his church, that they would bless the nations. And so, you know, when, when your buddy Jim and when some of us were praying that thing, I think that's perfectly in line with God's will. And I, I don't know why more of us aren't asking that. And uh, I, I would love to see more people that say, God, use us. Here we are. Here am I. Send me. Send our, our, our students from here or our city that God could use us to have a huge impact on the world. I think God wants to answer those prayers. Yeah, amen. We're going to get back to that stuff. I want to unpack a book that you wrote a little bit. But before we get to that, I want to talk about uh, coronavirus. Um, uh, what's the situation up there for you guys? 
Yeah, we got it here. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit, uh, it's interesting, huh? I mean, everywhere in the world is impacted by this, and it's obviously scary. Canada uh, seems to have not been hit as hard yet. Um, it's still kind of, the, the curve, I think, is going up in certain areas. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really praying that God uses this thing um, to advance his purposes. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me that a pastor shared with him that God uses war, plague, and pestilence to open hearts and to change hearts for the gospel. And I think uh, we've got a plague we're dealing with, and obviously I want it to end as soon as possible and the number of deaths be minimized. But as I've been praying, I'm saying, Jesus, I pray that you would keep this going just long enough that people would turn back to you. And I've, I've wondered, North America, we are so comfortable, we're wealthy, we've got great health care. I mean, we're the safest place in the world. And uh, and I thought, how in the world do you, do you see people come to Jesus in a situation like that? And then here you go, God drops this just crazy pandemic on us. And uh, you know what? Apart from God, we can't survive this thing. And there's some great leaders out there. I so respect the frontline workers and the researchers and everybody fighting this disease. But ultimately, I'm praying that God would use this to uh, open hearts to the gospel in unprecedented numbers. Yeah, amen. I, I have actually thought, I mean, we, we've been doing a series of daily devotions on this podcast called The Daily Dose, and we have contributors from two or three partner ministries. And, um, you know, the themes of the devotions have been, you know, trusting God through anxiety and different things like this. I, I think that this coronavirus, and I don't mean to minimize the pain and the suffering and the death that have resulted from it. I, I think it's a tremendous blessing for mm. this country, uh, for North America. And I think that more people are, like you said, more open to the gospel than they have been in a long time. You know, it's incredible. You think about the United States, you're still a U.S. citizen, right? You have dual citizenship. Yep. And, uh, the strongest country in the history of the world. You could maybe make a theological argument for Israel, but the strongest country in the history of the world at its very wealthiest moment ever in history. Hmm. It was like a month or five or six weeks ago. And then just boom, it's gone. And I just think, I just think the interview that I referenced with Phil Hopper earlier, the pastor in Kansas city that I drove down and interviewed last week, uh-huh. God ain't playing around. I mean, we have we have spit in his face over and over and over, not just our culture and, and kind of the non-believing segment of our culture, but even in the church, we're playing loosey-goosey with, with God, with his word. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, guys, this, I'm going to give you a chance to turn back to me. And... uh it's Phil Hopper talked about this being the chastening of God. You know, the, the children of God, people who trust Jesus Christ uh, and are who, who are God's children, God disciplines us. He chastens us. Mm-hmm. And uh, what an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, somebody else pointed out that a couple different significant revivals were on the heels of, like you said, pestilence or war. What was the third one? A plague, yeah. plague, yeah. So anyway, I, 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 I mean, I again, I don't want to minimize the negative sides of this, but I think we've got a great opportunity to wake up that the Lord has given us. And if He hadn't given us this chance to wake up, you know, in in many corners, uh, we wouldn't wake up, and then we just kind of continue to cascade into the abyss. And and so, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, for me, it's, am I, am I willing to trust God through this or not? Like this is really worth my faith. Is it real? Is it, is God good? Is God in control? Um, and so if I believe those things, then right now I can rest in that. And, uh, you know, I've been anxious a lot through this. I've, I, at one point thought I had a couple of the symptoms as I'm sure many of us have thought at some point. And, uh, you know, I'm, I certainly do not want to get it and I don't want any friends or family to get it, but, uh, you know, am I willing to trust God through that? And, uh, and the timing of, of my death, the timing of, um, you know, the different difficulties. But ultimately, this is, um, I think this really um, exposes our view of God and how do we see him. And so, which is, I think, a gift from the Lord. It's not only a gift generally, I think, uh, from the Lord, but it's been specifically a gift to our ministry of the Life Project or Power to Change Digital Strategies. So Power to Change Digital Strategies is an online evangelism and discipleship ministry. Actually, Power to Change has been in the digital space trying to do ministry online for like 25 years, ever since the early days of the Internet. Um, I came on board in 2013, and we've been trying to build this this platform by which people who find our content online, which is positioned kind of strategically, are given the chance to connect anonymously with an online mentor. And those mentors are trained volunteers who are trained to kind of walk with and encourage and pray for and ultimately point people to Christ who are struggling with different issues or who are wanting to have a conversation, talk through something going on in their life with an anonymous person rather than someone face-to-face. So one of our websites is issuesiface.com. I've promoted that on the podcast every time we've done an interview. And if you go to issuesiface.com, there are 50 or 60 articles now, I think, of, of people struggling with different things from debt to divorce to depression, anxiety, cancer, death, all kinds of things. And those those articles give people a chance to connect with an anonymous online mentor. And uh, we have seen an enormous spike in mentor requests during these coronavirus days, haven't we? Yeah, I don't know the numbers. I know um, for sure that um, I think we're up about, well, I should say generally we're up about 50% uh, already over the last month. And I imagine that's just going to climb as, as people become more um, comfortable with going online for answers. Um, and the, the good thing is we've seen actually the number of, uh, uh, actual mentors and people applying, I think that has actually doubled in the last month, which is fantastic. And, you know, I, I have, I've been a big believer in digital ministries for, you know, the last 15 years or so. I believe that um, this is, God, again, a huge gift from the Lord that we can access people all over the world. We can get into people's homes. They're willing to share stuff with us. They wouldn't share with their closest friend, but because it's anonymous, they're willing to just kind of crack open their hearts and, and share what's going on. And, and, uh, so it's interesting to see just kind of the pivot of so many churches and ministries uh, towards using digital, whether it's doing the Sunday morning service online or, or trying to do prayer meetings together over the uh, Internet or whatever. And, and um, I think, again, I think this is a huge opportunity for the church to really capitalize on this incredible tool of, of digital um, engagement to connect with people all over the world. It's amazing. Just my little role. So obviously I've backed off my role at Power to Change Digital Strategies as I've taken over the role here at Christian Crusaders, the CC podcast. But I'm maintaining some hours uh, with you guys. And I've uh, been in some conversations where for for years we were trying to convince churches that they could really benefit, that their ministry could really be exponentially uh, grown if they would add a digital component. And frankly, we, we had built this this is all the Lord that, that allowed us to come up with this idea, build it, 
but we built this thing and we're willing to give it to churches and ministries essentially for free. Just use this strategy. And it was like pulling teeth because, and I don't blame these churches because there's a lot going on. And in ministries, we all have the, the, the tyranny of the urgent. And even though you might think this is a great idea, how do we implement this? And is it going to take time away from our priorities? Well, now, I mean, we're getting calls out of the woodwork. Uh, there was a church in Texas that I was uh, in, in a conversation with indirectly that uh, they said, we're ready to put 100 mentors into the field. And, uh, wow. I mean, we want to do this ASAP. Now, if we had tried calling there three months ago, we couldn't have got even connected to the right person. And so there yeah. is there is a uh, a front of mind kind of awareness of the value of digital ministry. Greg, Greg, you've done some online mentoring. We all have in the process yeah. of, of this. I mean, do you have an online mentoring story that stands out or, or an example for people to hear of what, what's it like? Well, there's, there's one from several years ago uh, where we had this uh, site called Dreams About Jesus, where we were targeting Muslims in, in all over the world and just asking the question, have you had a dream about Jesus? And that was a lot of fun. We had about 700,000 Muslims who had, uh, clicked on the site and visited the site. And then um, I think we had about 4,000 people that engaged in online mentoring. And, you know, some of the stories we're getting, you know, Jesus appeared to me in a dream. Um, I'd never heard of him before. This guy with, you know, long hair and a white robe says, I'm Jesus. And just incredible stories. So, you know, that, that was really exciting. And then, and then more recently, I just kind of restarted mentoring a few weeks back and and kind of been in dialogue with a guy in Italy who was pretty sure he had the virus and, Hey, I'm scared to die. And mm. what am I going to do? So I was able to engage with him and pray with him and, and share the gospel with him. And, you know, he was so grateful and it's, um, you know, it's just interesting the conversations that, that people are willing to have right now. They're there. I mean, this was a guy who's stuck in his home, you know, didn't really have, I think his girlfriend lived with him, but beyond that didn't have much, you know, anyone he could talk to. And so was really eager to, to converse. So we went back and forth, you know, I don't know, a couple dozen times and had some, some good engagement. So I, I just think it's a, it's such a cool opportunity. Um, and there's people out there that are coming to us all the time and, and um, they're saying, Hey, we, we, we'd really like to have significant conversations. We don't know who to have these with. So they'll come online and, and we're there for them. So I, I, uh, I'm glad that we're picking up some more mentors because the only thing that slowed us down is not having enough people to follow up all these folks that are coming online right now. And we still don't have enough mentors. The last number I heard, this is nuts. The last number I heard is that there were 855 messages from mentees waiting to be followed up on. Now we've got hundreds of active mentors. Um, I think we might be moving up over a thousand, um, but we need more mentors. So if anybody listening to this is like, I'm sitting in my house, I'm, I'm, I'm going nuts and I want to do something significant during this time, come and, and be a mentor with us. You can go to tmm.io. That's actually a website. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weird kind of address, but it's tmm.io, and that'll walk you through the steps of how you can become a mentor. Obviously, this is for believers. They're going to kind of vet you a little bit before they turn you loose on this thing. Um, but come mentor with us. Have a, a, a an eternal impact around the world. We're doing this in... A bunch of different languages. We've got partnerships in, like, yeah. I think set- we have 12, 12 different languages we're functioning in, and something like one hundred nineteen, hundred and thirty countries, something somewhere around that number um, that we're working on. And and one of the providential things, the Lord uh, brought a a woman on staff uh, about a year and a half ago named Dory Manu, and her job is partnerships. 
And so, uh, you know, when she started, we had 10 or 15 ministries right now. I think we're up to 65 ministries that are partnering with us that want to say, hey, we want to figure out how to use digital to impact our constituents and, and our target audience. So, yeah, the opportunity is huge. And the other thing, Matt, is that um, this ministry actually has funding available for um, reaching out to do advertising. And we find that when we advertise, the numbers of people coming to us spike. So we actually have to shut off our advertising all the time because we don't have enough mentors. And so we've got this money, this pool of money, ready to engage people in India and different parts of the world, but we don't have enough mentors to follow up. So once we get the mentors, then we can turn up the advertising and we can talk to more people all over the world. Talk specifically about India a second and advertising and the numbers. I mean, it's staggering. Yeah, I mean, I know I don't have the numbers at the tip of my fingers here, but I know that we have, um, you know, been partnering with a church uh, out in, um, I'll just say, kind of northern India, and um, and that church has been um, uh, basically they've have some of their congregation has put the articles together and and put content up on there. They have several of their people that are doing the uh, um, the mentoring as well. And we basically said to the church, we want to help you reach your community, so we're doing targeted advertising in the area. 10 mile area surrounding their church, which has probably a million plus people in that neighborhood. And, uh, and then we're saying, Hey, we'll, we'll, um, we've, we've got some money for the advertising. We just uh, need you guys to help with the content and follow up. So they're overwhelmed with the follow up. So that's why we're trying to add some more mentors, but it's, it's been phenomenal. We're seeing, you know, huge numbers of people that are, that are coming in and it's, it's really a one-to-one as we increase uh, marketing, I think it costs us about three, uh, two or three cents per click. Um, so we only pay for the people that actually click on our ad. And so, you know, you give me a dollar, I'm going to talk to 40 to 50 people, uh, in India uh, and we get a chance to begin a spiritual dialogue with them. Incredible. Uh, One of the, one of the other things I love about this online digital strategy is, uh, it's actually helping equip people to be more effective, multiplying disciples offline. So you've got, I, I know the India story is, is there are a ton of people coming in through that particular campaign that we're talking about, who are, we would call them pre-Christian or far from God. And so one of the things we've had a hard time with is finding mentors who are able to kind of engage with these people at a human level and kind of walk with them for a while and kind of hold off. It's not that we're not passionate about the gospel. It's not that we're not urgent with the gospel, but we need to develop a relationship and some trust with these folks and so we, we've struggled to find Christian mentors. Obviously, to be a mentor, you got to be excited about sharing the gospel. But on the other hand, you got to kind of hold your powder, uh, you know, until the time is right. And uh, frankly, isn't that what it's like in real life when we're trying to witness about Christ to people? I think so. I think there's, I mean, obviously there's real value. I, I believe that the power of God for salvation is the gospel, as Romans one sixteen talks about. But I also know that, um, you know, just as the Apostle Paul sometimes would just talk about different topics, like, you know, the idols in the area or whatever, you can use different um, things to begin that conversation. And and I think you're absolutely right. There's a number of our mentors who have said to me that, you know, I, I like to share my faith. I wasn't very comfortable in it, but every week I'm talking to somebody else and that's, you know, I'm making mistakes and, and I'm finding that myself, you know, after a couple of these, um, you know, online engagements, I thought, boy, I handled that one poorly. Next time I can change that. And so it just allowed me and, and some of the other mentors to get practice, really, um, to talk to people who genuinely want to learn. And, and you're going to make mistakes. 
Um, but I find the more that I, you know, more people I talk to, the better I get. And so this is such a great way. And you can choose. The, the nice thing about it, too, is you may say, hey, I'm going to take one email a week and I'll just respond to that. Or you may say, no, actually, I, I've, I've got some more time in my hands. I'll pick up some more. And again, every person you talk to gives you another opportunity to engage with someone out there who is, is looking for some help. And, and you're getting experience in, in the engaging people in the gospel. So I'm going to give you three three websites. I've already mentioned a couple of them already. Issuesiface.com. If there's anybody who needs to talk with a mentor anonymously online, you want to talk about something privately that you don't even want to talk to anybody face-to-face face about, go to Issuesiface.com or more specifically, Issuesiface.com slash talk. That'll get you right to the mentor request form. The second website is tmm.io. If you feel like the Lord's calling you to be an online mentor with us, go check that out, tmm.io. And then if you just want an overview of the ministry, our website is P2C, like the letter P, the number two, the letter C, that's short for power to change, p2cdigital.com. Anything else you want to say about that, Greg? No, I think it's great. would encourage all of our uh, folks not only to, to consider becoming a mentor, but you know, look up that site, Issues I Face, post it on your um, social media let friends know about it, invite other friends to become online mentors. It's, it's just a great tool and a great way for people to, um, to engage. And issues I face specifically designed for people that, that don't know that they're really looking for Jesus. Right now, they just have some other things. And so that allows us to say, actually, you know, at the root of whatever it is you're dealing with, we think that God can help you. So, Awesome. I want to turn to this book that you wrote, What Are You Trusting God For? Practical Principles to maximize your kingdom impact. Is this the first book you've written? Yeah, my only book. That's it. How was that? It was a ton of work. Uh, I don't know if I would have done it uh, if I would have known how much work. I, you know, I felt about about a decade ago. I felt the Lord, or I just was. I don't know if there's a Lord or what. I just kind of felt a pull to to try to take some of the talks that I'd seen some fruitfulness from, um, and some good response from, and and try to put them into a book form and. I started picking away at it over, you know, 10 years ago and then I'd give up, I'd read it and I'd say, boy, this is terrible. And, uh, you know, give up on it for a while. And then a couple of years ago, really decided about three years ago, um, felt like I need to jump on this and, and really commit to, um, working on it, see what I can do. And so, uh, a lot of work, but I think the Lord's, uh, you know, given a message that, um, I think, uh, is resonating with people and, and helping them to think about God in a different way and to really think about living their lives much more intentionally and uh, with more of a God-sized vision. So uh, I, want, I want to unpack a few things from this book with you. Uh, by the way, I, I thought it was great. I, I thought the whole book was great. In particular, chapters three and four were, were really good for me. Uh, and, and I've bought a couple boxes of these and in the process of handing them out. By the way, anybody listen to this, the first one to give me a call and say, send me the book, it can, can have the one that I'm holding right now. Um, and we've got some others available to you. Maybe we'll direct them through TJ's Christian Bookstore here in town. You can get a hold of them online, TJ's Christian Bookstore in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Anyway, uh, what is kingdom impact? Maximizing your kingdom impact. I, I love that phrase. It's a phrase I use a ton. I, I just wrote an email update to a bunch of people, and I use that word or that phrase a, a gazillion times in there. And and I kind of wonder, I wonder if people even know what I'm talking about when I say kingdom impact. What's kingdom impact? Well, I think Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and uh, that it's among us, it's here, and, um, and that his objective for, his, uh, for the church and for his believers is that they would advance his kingdom. And I think that a lot of it right now is, um, you know, obviously what God, his sovereign kingdom in heaven, 
And then I think he's extending his, his kingdom here on earth. Um, obviously, he's sovereign over everything. But there are certain areas that are submitted to the lordship and to the kingship of Jesus. And so um, I believe that, you know, the reason that God has left us here after we come to faith is to expand his kingdom, to tell people about him, to introduce more people to him, um, to bring glory to him, whether it's serving the poor, whether it's uh, um, making disciples, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, sharing your faith, whatever. I believe that God has uh, a very intentional desire, a passionate desire for us to expand his work. Um, in whatever sphere of influence um, and beyond. Yeah. So I'm going to read a a chunk from this right on page two. You talk about how you've been in uh, ministry, Campus Crusade, excuse me, for like 30 years. Uh, You've given a bunch of talks. You've talked to a bunch of people. Early in these conversations with each of these people, I like to ask them a simple question. What are you trusting God for? And you go on to write, if I were to sum up the thousands of answers that I've received to that question over the years, it would be with these two words, not much. Here are some. Here are a few examples of what I have heard. This is an answer to the question, what are you trusting God for? Somebody might say, I hope to encourage a few people in their walk with God. Or, I'd love if God could one day use me to introduce one person to faith. Or, I'd maybe like to lead a Bible study. What's wrong with those answers? I don't think there's anything wrong with those, but I think there, it's, it's good that we're thinking about that. And, and I think sometimes people have a sense of humility or <clears throat> that, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to ask God for too much. I don't you know, want to be, you know, kind of overstep my bounds. But, you know, there's a few things that grab me. One of them is um, there's a great picture I came across recently, and it, it just puts the sun in, in kind of um, relative size to the earth. And my understanding is there's about 960,000 earths that could fit inside of our sun. And then I have another picture that has the sun in comparison to a star, one star called uh, Betelgeuse or Betelgeese that has, um, that basically is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. Now, the God that I serve um, and who sent his son to die for me and who said he's willing to do all things for me, uh, that God um, actually, um, he spoke those those stars into, into existence. And, and so it's kind of like having this, you know, unbelievably powerful superhero next to us here. And uh, we're just saying, hey, you know, I, I just I need something. I don't I don't need much help. It's like having the Incredible Hulk. You're trying to lift up a car, and you're like, here, take this feather and just help me. And it's just kind <laughs> of insulting. I think that there's there's so much more that God wants to do through us. And He said in His Word so many different times that He wants to use us. He wants the lost to be found. He wants the the nations to exalt Him. And so, you know, knowing the fact that God has actually called the church to have this global impact knowing he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the resurrection power, the same power that created the universe dwelling inside of us. The fact that we have all these things, why would we settle for anything less? Why would we settle for, yeah, I think I'd like to just lead a Bible study. Why don't we say, God, I I can't do this, but you certainly can. And so I'm going to ask you to do some crazy impossible things. Yeah. And you've seen a lot of that stuff happen. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, Chapter three and four, I said, were two of my highlight chapters. Chapter three is our most dangerous weapon. And you talk about prayer in, in, in chapter three, the importance of prayer. That was especially uh, good for me. I, I have always had a prayer life that has been less than impressive. I'm, I'm very much an activist in terms of getting out and doing the work of ministry. Um, but I have a hard time slowing down to pray. One of my issues is always if God is sovereign and if God's going to do what God's going to do, and he already knows everything, 
then what do I need to ask him for? I mean, can't we just get to work here? Um, right. But every one of these chapters, you are very, you, you kind of go through the, the philosophy or the theology or the kind of the make the biblical case for whatever you're talking about. And then you get very, very practical. And uh, I want to talk about the practical. I remember when we were on a phone call once before I'd even read this book, we were talking about my prayer life and uh, you were giving me a specific tool that you use and it's your, your prayer journaling tool and numbering things and, and kind of walk everybody through that. That was really helpful for me. Yeah, I just started when I was in college. I just thought, you know, I, was, I had a friend of mine I was praying with all the time, and he'd say, what do you want me to pray for? And you know, I'd give some vague answers or whatever. And um, and then I, I discovered, you know, lots of people are saying, hey, Greg, could you pray for this or that? And I'd say, oh, yeah, sure. And then I'd forget and never would, right? You know, that's kind of the great Christian answer. Sure, I'll, I'll pray for that. <laughs> but then I thought, well, I'm just going to put put together a book. And I, you know, at the time just picked up a simple accounting book, and now I use kind of a, you know, pretty journal that my wife gives me every year. And, um, and I'll just kind of write it down one, two, three, four. And, and the reason I have the numbering system, there's a couple of reasons. One is that I found that, um, if I just had a long list and I'd be praying the same thing every day and I would get bored, um, cause I was praying for the same things every day. But I found that if I, if I kind of rotated through different requests, um, then I found that actually it was a little more fun. Um, today I have a new thing I'm praying for and it just kind of kept it fresh. So hang on um, Initially a I started, so yeah. you're making a list like down the page, and then on the side yep. you're numbering it one two three four one two three four one two three four, and so like on day That's one right. you're praying for the ones, day two the twos, right? Okay, yeah, I, exactly. I just want to paint that for people who might not have followed what you were saying, but go ahead. Yeah, thank you. So initially I, I I numbered it one to seven, and I would like you know, but every Tuesday I had a commitment that I wasn't able to get to my prayer journal on that day, and so. I found that my prayer request for the, the three wasn't getting answered. So I, I went one, two, three, four, because I find that it rotates through in a you know fairly regular basis. Um, and then the nice thing about it is that I can pray for four times as many things with the allotted time I have for prayer. You know, if I have, you know, I spend maybe 15, 20 minutes in prayer and, and kind of a concentrated time of prayer a day, I, I'd like to tell you I do a lot more, but that's about for me, my regular time and, and hopefully praying throughout the day. But for that, I find that I can pray for, you know, maybe 25, 30 different items in that, that window of time. And so if I can do that four different days, now I've got four different sets of items that I'm praying for. And then the other thing I'll do, Matt, and this was helpful several years ago, is I've, I've actually um, learned to cross things off my list, too, which at first I felt really guilty about. Oh, I'm no longer going to pray for that person or that issue. But I just found that over time it would get overwhelming. And again, sometimes I'm human, I get bored. And so I found that as I, as I would sometimes delete things and, or, you know, erase them. And then, um, um, maybe I'd come back a few years later. You know, there's some friends of mine from high school that I've prayed for off and on for the last 35, 40 years. And, uh, you know, at first, um, I was praying, um, you know, for a while and then I'd get bored. So I'd cross them off for a while and then I'd circle back and pick them up again. But I find it so helpful just to, to know today when I sit down to pray, here's what I'm going to be covering. And I'm not legalistic about it. Some days I just spend some time listening to the Lord, and sometimes I'll pray through Scripture or whatever. But this this particular tool has been very, very helpful for me on a regular basis. Another thing that was helpful when we talked through this, I remember, is just how specific and just very, very uh, down-to-earth some of the, the things on your prayer list are. Walk us through a few of the things that, that might be on your prayer list. You know, one of my thoughts about prayer is you always got to be praying about these big, deep things. I mean, in like the mundane things of life, 
probably don't belong on the prayer list. I mean, we should be thinking bigger than that. So walk me through just an example of what might be on your prayer list now or have been in the past. Yeah, I know when we were looking for a house, I know my wife loves taking baths. And so I was praying, God, could you give us a soaker tub in the house that we buy? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of houses that have a soaker tub in it. And I was praying that we'd be able to have a fireplace um, that would burn real fire. And, and, and so the house we found had both. It was just kind of a really interesting thing. Um, I've had, um, you know, where I've prayed, um, you know, every year for some prayer goals for m- how much money I'm raising. Um, I've had some business friends of mine, and I've said, what, what's a revenue goal you have for this next year? I remember this one friend, and he says, you know what? We're a startup, and we've been going for a while, and we're about, you know, 600000 We'd like to get to a million next year. I think he said we're actually at 400000 We'd like to hit a million during that calendar year, which would be a, a real stretch. And so I said, well, let's pray for it. And he said to me, you know, in December, I was looking at our numbers, and we were way off. I didn't think there's any way we we're going to get close to it. And then he says, I looked at the numbers around the end of December, and um, sure enough, we ended up hitting like $1,020,000 or something like that for the year. So you know, it was really cool to see that. And, and another neat one that was just kind of surprised me is we were, my family was going to go on a cruise, and, and we couldn't afford the cruise. Um, it was just a we'll get into the story, but as a kind of a reward for our children, at, you know, when they hit a certain age or whatever. And I thought, you know what, we, we can only afford half of the cost of this cruise. So let's, let's not tell anybody, but let's pray with our kids that God provides half the money for the cruise. And so we, we started praying. And, um, and so we, we did see, um, a, a, about 70% of money come in for it from this one gift out of the blue. This person called me up and said, I'd like to help you with this thing. I know you're going on a cruise. I'd like to help you. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I said to the kids, well, this is great, but we're only, you know, we're still 30% short. Let's keep praying. And then five days later, another person didn't know anything about the first gift, didn't know we were praying for this, gave us the exact amount to allow us to, to meet that need. So, but I think it's also important that we don't just pray for our needs. So I'm praying for the number of people that I see come to Christ or the amount of money raised for our ministries or the number of people that would join our ministry on staff. I've prayed that, um, was praying for some help on the marketing front with our, our digital ministries and God's provided that. So, you know, and along the side of my journal, I write thanks when I see these very specific answers to prayer. So it's really helpful to go back and look at all the number of things that God has answered over time. And the more specific, the more clearly I can say, God did this. This was, I I can't just attribute this to coincidence. This was a very specific number that God had for us. So that's awesome. Somebody listening to this might think this sounds a little bit like prosperity gospel. Obviously, I know you well enough to know you're the antithesis of that. So how do you hold that in balance? Like praying for specific stuff, name it, claim it kind of garbage. You're not talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you're right. I think that one of them is that um, anything to do with prosperity gospel, I think of a couple of things. I think the fact that Jesus wasn't terribly prosperous at the end of his life as he was getting beaten and didn't have any, you know, crucified, didn't have any possessions. The apostle Paul, same thing. Um, but I think also there's, there's, um, value for asking God for our needs. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 18 says that it is God who gives us the ability to create wealth. Um, and so we need to make sure we're dependent on him. But I think the important thing, and, and, um, you know, I even hesitate to tell that story about the cruise because I, we try to not pray for our own needs that much. We pray for a lot of friends. We pray for other needs. We pray for countries. We pray for specific ministry goals, et cetera. And so I think part of it is, the problem that I find with the prosperity gospel is it tends to be focused more on me. Yeah. And I don't think that's what Jesus really wants us to be focused on. I think he wants us to focus on the lost, um, the needs of the world, the poor, um, you know, the tr- growth of our church, our, uh, the revival in our nation. So, yeah, I think there's a number of different things that we need to be praying for. And, um, 
And I got to say too, just on another side, I mean, I've, I've spent time with believers all over the world. Last uh, August, my wife and I spent time with 40 of our campus ministry leaders from 24 different Southeast African nations. And these are some of the most incredibly Christ-centered, spirit-filled, trusting God people I've ever met in my life. Brilliant leaders. And many of them live in poverty. One guy is a refugee in South Sudan. Another guy is, you know, just kind of bouncing back after the you know, genocide in Rwanda. Another guy is living in the townships of, you know, South Africa. So, you know, I think that um, those guys are, are genuinely following Jesus. I want to get behind them and pray for them as much as I can to help them not have financial success, but have kingdom success, have ministry impact, and then that God would meet their needs. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I was reading this book, Mason and I, my son were flying to London last summer and I took this book along and it was the middle of the night, you know, on those, on those international flights, it's like, you know, your sleep schedule's off and it's the middle of the night and I'm Mason's asleep and pretty much everyone in the whole plane is asleep. And I've, I'm the only guy with the light on, you know, probably making people mad because I'm reading this book. And for whatever reason, you've got kind of a dry sense of humor and, and I could just hear you speaking when you told this story about praying God-sized prayers on page 50, the Bill Gates uh, analogy. And I literally just started dying laughing. <laughs> I'm sitting in my airplane seat laughing because I can just hear That's you awesome. saying this. It, it kind of builds up to a climax. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to read this. Most Christians, this is going to be about a page, and then you can comment on anything else you want to about it. Most Christians pray for God to meet their basic needs. We pray to do well on exams, to find a good parking space, to heal us from our colds, etc. But let me paint you a picture. Let's say that you're good friends with Bill Gates, who, as of this writing, is worth $88 billion. And let's say Bill, because he really likes you. <laughs> That's so great. Hard to believe for you, Matt. I get that. <laughs> yeah, right. Because he really likes you, decides to make you an incredible offer. He says, as you know, I've been giving away a lot of my wealth. And since you're a good friend of mine, I'd really like to give you some of it. In fact, I would like to offer you up to $10 billion. Now, I don't want to force you to take all this money. So I'm going to give you the amount of money that you ask to receive. On this legal document, which I have signed, I have a blank space for you to write the amount of money that you would like to accept from me. If you write $10 billion, I'll give you $10 billion. If you write a number below that, I will give you that amount. It's entirely up to you. Blown, <laughs> blown away. <laughs> blown, like blown away. You thank him for his incredibly generous offer. Your mind is spinning as you consider what you should accept. You don't want to appear too greedy, so you start to feel a little bad. After all, if you take $10 billion, that will leave Bill with only $78 billion. <laughs> So you decide to be humble about it, and you write an amount that seems right to you, $200. Smiling, you hand the paper back to Bill Gates, who then looks at you incredulously. He is stunned and a little offended that you asked for so little when he offered you so much. He pulls out his wallet, peels off two $100 bills, and turns away, shaking his head. Maybe I should have asked for more, you think. This illustration seems ridiculous, but isn't it similar to the way we pray to God? God has offered us this incredible tool to accomplish his purposes, promising us that we can ask him for anything in Jesus' name, and yet so many of our prayers are small and timid. And then you go on to exhort us to pray bigger prayers. What, 
I just think that's a great analogy. Did you come up with that? I did. Thank you. And, and so what would you add to that? Well, I just think, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, looking back in the beginning of the book where I talk about, I just quote a bunch of scripture in Genesis, Jesus or God said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? In Job, I know you can do all things. Um, in, uh, you know, Mark, everything is possible for him who believes. Uh, in Luke, uh, nothing's impossible with God. And then Ephesians 3.20, he, he's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. And I think that when we get to heaven, I think one of the first things we're going to say is, wow, we way under asked God. We should have got him involved in so much more of our lives. We should have asked him for so much more of his kingdom work to be done. And for some reason, God has chosen to, to hold back a lot of times his work um, until we ask him. And I think that he wants us to see. I think he wants us to be participants in his work. And so he's given us this incredible tool or weapon of prayer that we can start asking him to do great work. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I just, I beg people. I'm like, why are you asking God for so little? He wants to do so much. He's already given us his son. And so there's, that's the infinite gift. So anything below that is, is gravy. So let's ask him. Amen. I don't know if anybody listening to this has, you know, sometimes you run into these people like Greg who just seem to have such a clear and such a big vision, such a biblical grasp of what God's trying to do in the world and and such a passion to help people do that. And but but they also at the same time seem um kind of like unreachable or kind of unreal or like superhuman. And the thing that's been great about me getting to know you, Greg, is that you don't have that air. You're very human. You're very real. You're very identifiable. I mean, we have a lot of things in common. We like basketball and, and we like college yeah. football. And, um, and like, like you said, I'd like to say that I pray in a concentrated way for more than 15 or 20 minutes a day, but that's where I'm at. You're just very real and very genuine, authentic, transparent about who you are. Uh, is that a learned thing or is that just, I mean, have you learned to just be more authentic or have you just always been that way? Well, I think it's, I think I'm just messed up first of all. So I'm, I'm just grateful that anytime God can use me and, uh, and, and people are going to, I think a lot of my foibles and weaknesses are pretty obvious to anyone who spends longer than 15 minutes with me. So I don't feel like there's any value in hiding it. And, uh, I think that, um, and I found too, that people are, um, I think they appreciate that when, when they, when I share about, Hey, I struggle with this sin or I struggle with this, you know, weakness, I think that that also allows, builds trust. And so some of that is that. And then some of it simply is, you know, I, I think one helpful definition in my mind of humility is basically just looking at yourself compared to God. And that's it. I mean, I'm so broken and messed up. And I look at the number of sinful thoughts and actions and stupid things I say, it's like, I, I, I it's hard to be proud in those kind of scenarios and uh, recognizing that, everything I have is from God. I mean, there's everything comes from above. And so um, I need to just make sure that I'm not taking credit for stuff. I think it's great to, to be able to follow human examples who aren't trying to be this bigger than they are type thing, because it, it what it communicates to me, I mean, in, in our relationship, it, it's said, you know, I can, I can actually be in some semblance more like Greg, or I can in some semblance be more like what God is calling me to, um, even with the imperfections and the flaws that are part of who I am. And so it's like when when you get to know the guy behind the book, you go, okay, this is amazing stuff, 
but it's not like some perfect, you know, uh, Jesus Christ prototype who who is just unattainable to do this stuff. Like I can do this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah, and that was part of the reason for the book. I think you know one one is that I believe that it's there's there's pretty um, simple things that all of us can take steps on that will allow us to have a much bigger impact. And so I wanted to take those principles to share. And, um, and then I, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I don't think of myself as an author. Obviously I've written a book that's published and, you know, and, and sold some copies or whatever, but, uh, it's like, I, I just, I think of myself as a guy who's just shared some stuff that I've learned. God's given this to me. And the other thing I talk about is, you know, this book is, is really 35 years of my walk with Jesus. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I, when oftentimes when we read these books, I remember reading Hudson Taylor's you know, spiritual secret, fantastic book and thinking, man, there's no way I can, I can keep up with this guy. But then when I looked at the timeline in the back of the book, I was like, wow, this happened over 40 years. And I find that, excuse me, really encouraging that a lot of, um, a lot of the shaping of God's work in our life is not going to happen next week. It's going to happen over long stretches of time. And I, you know, I think it was Eugene Peterson or one of those guys who said, it's a long obedience over, uh, um, you know, a long period of time, a strong obedience over a long period of time or something like that. So. Yeah. Do you find that as you get older, I was just talking to a friend about this, that just staying faithful to Christ over time, which I, I need to say is only because of God's grace. God's grace causes me to stay faithful to Christ. It's not because of anything I do, but like staying faithful for another year or another five years when you're 50 or is different than staying faithful, you know, from 20 to 25, uh, that, that it just kind of has a snowball effect, like an exponential effect because, because over time people are peeling off. Yeah, I think, um, I think there's two things. I, I think there's, there's a youthful, um, enthusiasm and an optimism that allows faith to be, um, more exciting and, and easier early on. Um, the thing that's been really saddening to me as we've met with uh, some friends of ours or, um, you know, people we've known for many years, it's amazing how many of my friends are just checking out spiritually. And, um, mm. um, you know, and I, I think that it's, I think over time, it depends on how you've lived your life. I think if you've lived your life and God has been real and you've seen God use you and you've, and you've developed an intimacy with God, then yeah, I think that snowball effect definitely kicks in. I think a lot of people have gone through the motions uh, maybe they just attend church. Uh, maybe their faith is actually more in the God that they've created in their mind. Maybe that God didn't answer their prayers. And so now they're disappointed with him. Or maybe mm -hmm. uh, there was a death of a loved one and that really discouraged them. And so they thought, well, God's not good. And so I think I think one is just immersing ourselves in God's word over our lifetime. I think that's huge. I think two is uh, making sure that we have friends around us who are continuing to point us to Jesus because yeah, I drift all the time. And if I don't have a few of these really close friends just staying in my life and getting in my face, then I'll drift too. So I think it's, I think it can um, certainly get easier on the one hand, but you know, I, I get grumpier as I get older. I'm, I, you know, I see more, uh, I see more messed up Christians and I see the, you know, the hypocrisy and that, that turns me off. And so I have to remember, no, I, my focus needs to be on Jesus and it needs to not be on these people. And so uh, I think, yeah, I think there's some proactive steps that we need to take to make sure that keeps going. The other chapter that had particular impact on me was chapter four, think eternally, live accordingly. When you say think eternally, what are you saying? Well, I think that, you know, right now, most of us are thinking about, you know, what am I going to do next summer? And a lot of us are thinking, when are we going to be done with this uh, isolation? Um, you know, we, 
when we start thinking about our retirement, for example, I talked to a lot of, uh, you know, donors or, or friends of mine who are, you know, I said, we all have a retirement plan. If you're, if you're a good steward of your money, you're going to make sure that when you're 65, 70 years old, you've got cash and, and you've got some money to survive those last 20, 30 years. I always say to them, what I want you to do is actually push out your investment horizon another 50 years um, to when you're dead and uh, you're with Jesus. And uh, what's your ROI going to be then? And, you know, we, you know, any success, um, successful people have it, uh, seven habits of highly effective people talks about the idea of, um, you know, uh, begin with the end in mind. And so, you know, I'm going to spend, you know, if I have a really long life, maybe a hundred years on this planet, but I'm going to spend billions of years in, in heaven and eternity. Mm. And, and the choices I make here are going to be impacted for, um, these next, you know, hundred thousand years, you know, billion years. So I need to make choices, um, you know, during this time that are going to affect that. And so I want to invest in the type of house that's going to allow me to live comfortably here. I can have what I need, but I don't want to buy so much house that I've, I've limited the amount of money I can invest in eternity. Mm. Um, I want to take holidays that I can enjoy to refresh myself, but maybe I'm going to limit some of that, um, you know, the types of holidays so that I have more money to give or more, more time to give and invest in, um, you know, kingdom advancing priorities. So, um, so that's, those are some of the things. You gave, again, you get real practical in this chapter after you kind of lay out the case for it. We're on page 77. Let's get practical. First, develop an eternal perspective. There are a few ways to do this. And you give, you give several examples of, of how to develop an eternal perspective, which I thought was great. Take time once in a while to stop and reflect on eternity. King David prayed in Psalm 39, 4 through 5, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. So, so consider eternity is the first one. Just reflect on that. The second one, study what Jesus said about eternity. For example, the Sermon on the Mount is filled with an eternal perspective. Or three, read the book of Revelation. See what's going to happen at the end of the story. Like you just said, begin with the end in mind. Yeah, uh, I love number four, and I, I've done this before I even read this, and I've always been fascinated by cemeteries, but you say walk through graveyards and look at the tombstones. Notice how short the time is that, that the dash is from, from the beginning until the end. Life is so short. And then n- number five, read history, noting that some of the most important and successful people in history have been completely forgotten today. And contrast that with what God promises to those who invest in eternal things. When I was reading through that list, you've seen, um, what's the movie with Robin Williams, Carpe Diem, uh, Dead Poet Society. Right, right. And, And you know, there's that powerful scene when they're looking at the trophy cabinets of this old school, and there's all these black and white photos of these people and they're, they're, uh, what does he say? Food for worms, lads. These guys are all dead and they they were heroes in their day. Right. These these were the the big men on campus. They were the, these big studs, and they're gone. Uh, in fact, yeah. it's it's interesting. We're watching during this coronavirus time. There's a documentary by Ken Burns on public uh, television that they've made available for free during this shutdown called Baseball. It's a it's a long documentary oh. on baseball. Have you heard of Ken Burns? Yeah. yeah, I'd love to watch that. I'm gonna check Ken, that out. Ken Burns is phenomenal. But when you look at these old pictures from the early days of baseball, the 1800s, the early 1900s. And these guys were national heroes. 
and yeah. you've never heard of any of their names and they've been long dead and forgotten. You could, you could be in a cemetery, walk by their grave and not even know who they were or care. Um, right. Talk about that. I mean, how does, how do we need to grow in our releasing of what we think is valuable in this life and gaining an eternal perspective? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, I think when I think about heaven, when I think about, you know, walking with Jesus and, and, uh, you know, I've thought about, gosh, isn't it going to be cool that I'll get to go hang out with the apostle Paul and Martin Luther and, and Elijah. And, you know, I, I want to talk to Lazarus. What was it like, man? You're dead, then you're alive. And then you died again, you know, like, <laughs> tell me what's this, you know? Um, and so just getting to spend time with some of my heroes, William Wilberforce, Jim Elliott, you know, some of these incredible people. I look forward to that. I also look forward to, uh, you know, the feasting and the celebration and the rewards that Jesus has in heaven for us. Like when he talks about, um, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but, but he said, he encourages lay up treasures for heaven. That's a command that we need to be intentional about laying up treasures for heaven. And, and so I'm going to be intentional about doing whatever I can to, to invest in my eternal retirement account, you know, and make sure that I'm investing there. And so I think, I think it's, you know, contemplating that it's contemplating the, the, um, you know, one, one of the things that was interesting to me, um, uh, about a year ago, a friend of mine from my high school graduated from high school in 1985. And this person worked really hard at compiling, um, just kind of, you know, kind of documenting all the people in our, that kind of range, like 1981 to 1990 graduation or something like that. And the number of people, friends of mine that have passed away hmm. and, um, you know, and it's amazing how many I've outlived. And I think, wow, those guys are already facing eternity. And hmm. I wonder if they knew Jesus. And that, that to me is also helpful. Every time I hear about someone who passes away, I, I ask myself a question. Is this person, do they know Jesus? What are they facing right now? Are they facing eternal joy and rewards? Or are they facing eternal separation from God and torment? And that, that drives me to think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and I think you're right, kind of looking at, you know, someone joked that, you know, we name, uh, you know, the apostle, you know, Paul after our, uh, you know, our children after Paul and we name our dog Caesar and, and, uh, you know, um, you know, these other kind of leaders that uh, Napoleon or whatever. I mean, these were, these were the most powerful people on the earth and you know what, that's it. They're done. And so we have such a great privilege that, that whatever we can invest in is going to be around uh, billions of years from now. And, um, and, and God is going to be pleased with that. That's the other part that we, we need to remember too, is that God cares about the things that are eternal much more than he cares about, the things that are temporal. So I think we just need to have that same attitude. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going to quit with the book. There's another great chapter at the end uh, about the power of multiplication and uh, about reaching the nations, the unreached. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about that here, but I want to pivot to, I don't think we've said this yet, but one of your primary roles with power to change is fundraising, fund development. And you, yeah. you've had an incredible journey, and uh, I've learned a lot from you in that area. And this isn't going to turn into a inside baseball conversation on fundraising between two fundraisers, but I think people could be inspired. I want you to tell the story of the foundation that you helped set up, because that's an amazing story. And then I want to... Yeah, there's the... Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, and then I'll go up. We'll, we'll do something else after that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. I I talk about this in the book and, um, I changed the guy's name. I can't remember what I changed it to, but, uh, anyways, uh, was, um, you know, it's a guy that I knew was pretty wealthy and I'd been praying for years, um, that, um, 
that God could allow me to be a, a part of mobilizing um, some, some really ridiculous goals. A few years ago, I thought, I'm just going to start praying some stupid, ridiculous goals that there's no way they can ever happen unless God does it. So I thought, I'm going to ask God that I could mobilize a billion dollars for the kingdom. I don't know what that's going to look like. I said, most I've ever raised, you know, over my, cumulatively over my life was like $3 million at that time over 30 years. You know, and I'm, I'm going to pray for, um, you know, a billion dollars. They're not Before, praying that God could allow me to have it. Yeah. What would have been, do you think, the largest gift that you helped mobilize prior to this? Before that, I had someone who had given me a gift for $78,000. And I remember that number very specifically because they reached out to me and said, I think God wants me to give away $78,000 and I need your help. It was just a weird deal. I didn't, I don't think I was even a big part of it. And then I think I'd had another guy. I did have another guy who actually um, called me again. He called me and said, I'd like to give a hundred thousand dollars. And so those are my largest gifts. And so praying for a billion dollars was kind of ridiculous. And, uh, but I also started praying, God, could you allow me to have an influence on uh, millions of Muslims? I'd like to be play a role in in helping. I think there was something like uh, today, there's something like um, 6,000 unreached people groups. I'd like to be able to pick off a thousand of those and be a part of, Hmm. of reaching a thousand. So anyways, those are just some things I've been praying off and on over the years. And then um, talking with this donor, I just said, Hey, you know, you've given away some large gifts. You've given us some university stuff and things like that. Teach me how to do this. Um, How would I ask for like, say, for example, hypothetically a $5 million gift. And he says, ah, you know, I like that. Let's talk about it. And then I said, I, I'd like this gift to be given because I see a lot of mega gifts that go towards hospitals or schools or, or some humanitarian. And those are, those are all good and important things. I said, I said to the donor, though, you know as well as I do that the, the only way we're going to change the world is through evangelism and discipleship. And he mm-hmm. said, yeah, I agree with that. And I said, but I've never seen a multi-million dollar gift that goes for evangelism and discipleship. So what would it look like to have like a $5 million gift? So we started talking about that. Next time I get together with him, he says, yeah, he says, I like the idea. He says, um, let's say it's 10 million. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's 10 million. It's hypothetical, <laughs> whatever, you know, and then, and then a few weeks after that, we get together and he says, Greg, I want to do this. I'm going to launch a foundation. that's going to focus on evangelism in the least reached parts of the world. And I'm going to start it with $40 million. And uh, when he told me that, I was like, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I need to go to the washroom because I totally freaked out. I was like, God, I'm not, <laughs> this is way beyond me. I, I don't know. I'm going to blow this thing. You've got the wrong guy. Like I was completely overwhelmed. And, uh, and as I was praying about it, one of the things God said to me is, Greg, you have been praying about this. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's true. And so um, that helped me when six months later, he says, Greg, we're going to pull some money out of our uh, family business. And I'm going to add an additional $60 million to this for a, a nice round, he said, nice round $100 million, which I thought was quite nice. And, um, and so, um, yeah, so that's it. Now, one of the cool things I'll tell that's the end of the story is that um, about three months before that, knowing this guy and how wealthy he was and knowing his heart, I started praying that, that over his lifetime that God would allow this man to give $100 million to Kingdom Priority. Hmm. And then within a year, God had specifically answered that prayer with a hundred million dollar gift. He didn't know about that prayer. Hmm. I had just talked to Jesus about that. So, uh, so that's a little of a story. So we're actually this weekend, I've, I've, I've got the board meeting with our team. And this weekend we have, we'll be giving away about a million dollars to evangelism around the world, um, which is pretty amazing. So, so he set up a fund and he spins off the revenue from that every year or something like that. Yeah, so this this particular fund is, uh, you know, we've gotten hit a little bit in this obvious economic uh, situation, but 
we do peel off. We have to give away about three and a half percent every year. So we're, we give between, you know, three and four million bucks a year. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and amazing gift to be a part of for sure. Wow. So as, as we've talked about that, um, you've got another book in your mind, maybe about, okay. don't you? We were talking about. Yeah, there's something I've been thinking about it. Yeah. We, we were talking about, first of all, there is so much wealth in the U.S., and I assume there's quite a bit in Canada. And even if you just pare it down to the people who know Christ, there's still just stupid amounts of money that uh, Christians have stewardship over. Right. And uh, we might not be... I was just having a conversation with a guy in my office two days ago about this. We might not be really good as the body of Christ at helping people invest that money for maximum effect. So you've got some people who've got a lot of money. You've got some people who want to do good things with it. Uh, And they might even say they want to do some good things that are Christian with it, but they just have no clue and have not thought through strategically how to do that. Isn't that kind of the that's part of what's motivated potentially you coming up with another book. Talk about that. Yeah. And I I don't know if it'll be a book, but it's something that I'm certainly enjoying sitting down with donors. I think there's a lot of people who are, um, you're right. They're very wealthy and they're very generous. And there's many people who are very intentional and strategic about their giving. Um, but you know, I don't think many of them have often think about, for example, what are the eternal ramifications? Like if I'm going to invest in a stock, I want to make sure that, 20 years from now or whatever my investment horizon is, I'm going to have a pretty decent ROI, but they don't often think about the eternal return on investment. And so, you know, let's think about the stuff that I'm giving away a hundred years from now when I'm with Jesus, is he going to say, Hey, that was a great investment. In fact, you've got a, you know, multiple return. And so, you know, I, I, I um, I think there's lots of things that are good. And, and I think God does bless generosity in general, but I think there's some things that are closer to God's heart than others. So for example, um, you know, football stadiums are, are a good thing. And I know, you know, Christians have invested in their alma mater's football stadiums that helps their school that maybe will help, you know, advance the cause. I think those types of things can be good. But I think that, you know, church planting in among people who have never heard the gospel before, I think that's better. You know, I think mm-hmm. helping to, uh, you know, invest in, um, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, our local town center to do whatever the theater, there's, there's, there's good things. I don't want to denigrate that. But maybe we might consider, um, you know, buying some water wells for some people that are basically going without water and dying, you know, because they don't have any clean water. So, you know, I and, think and not, that only, there's, um, not only that, but using the buying of those water wells to gather people around the gospel, right? That's it. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, for me, I'm always asking the question, what is the eternal return on investment on this type of thing that I'm involved in? Are these things advancing the gospel? Are they are they expanding God's kingdom? And so I'm not saying that all of our money, we, we help out with different causes here and there. But for me, the bulk of my money, frankly, Jesus said to lay up treasures in heaven. And so I need to ask myself, what are the types of investments that are actually going to have a return on investment? If I buy a really nice car, there's no return on investment of that in heaven. If I buy a really nice house, there's no return on investment. But if I, if I give food to a, a, a hungry child, absolutely, there's a great return on investment that Jesus promised. And I think the other thing um, is that um, I think that all, often we tend to give um, with the things that are very close to us. So I will give to this pro- – most donors tell me – I talked to a guy just yesterday. 
they said, you know, God, God's really laid in my heart, kind of my local community, which I think God has laid on all of our hearts, our local community, because we're there every day. And I said, my, my guess is, as I was talking to this guy, is that you probably haven't thought about the 132 million people in the country of Bangladesh who have never heard the gospel and don't have any opportunity of hearing the gospel because both geographic and political reasons and cultural reasons are isolated from the gospel. So then I asked him, what percentage of your giving portfolio um, would you like to give to the least reached? What percentage of your diversified giving portfolio would you like to invest in taking the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel before? And he hadn't considered that, and, and most people haven't. Um, if, there's a, if there's 3 billion people on the planet who have never, ever heard the gospel one time, and we've got people who are ready to tell them the gospel, but they just can't do it because they just need 100 bucks or 200 bucks. well, why wouldn't I give that? But I don't think enough donors are aware of what's going on globally with the advancement of God's kingdom, and so they're not investing as strategically as they could be. Yeah. I want to run something past you. Maybe maybe this is too harsh or too narrow, but I, I would take what you've said and, and kind of put steroids on it a little bit. And here's what I've thought about. So you know Mason and I are going around to see the Yankees play in every stadium. I've, yeah, I love that. I've told you about that. And <clears throat> I've gotten mixed responses from people. Everyone thinks it's cool. I mean, yeah, okay, whatever. But but people say, I've had some people say, oh, what a great time to make memories with your son. Okay, so there's yeah. there's the yeah. make memories crowd. And then there's the, oh, I saw your post on Facebook. That was so cool. And and then there's, so they kind of think, well, you're just doing this to have cool Facebook posts or, you know, whatever. And then there's the sports fan perspective, like, oh, I love the Yankees. I wish I could do that because, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a Yankees nut. The conclusion that I've come to is this, this seems on the outside to many people, and I am going to write a book about this specific trip. And, and this is going to be part, yeah. part of it that's in there. And you can correct me if you think I'm wrong or too, too narrow. But I, I think if my purpose for this trip is making memories or having cool Facebook posts or watching the Yankees, if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm serious about the Great Commission, then that's a fail, fail, fail on all three levels if that's really what this is about. I'll tell you what it's ultimately about and what I've asked the Lord to make it about. I want to build a relationship with my son where yeah. we have a strong uh, affinity for each other and where he trusts me and and knows me in ways that he wouldn't trust and know me if we hadn't gone on this big, long journey so that he will more readily accept and live out the biblical, evangelical, Christ-centered values and beliefs that I have. And I think that if you're shooting, even with something worldly, so you said football stadiums are great, are good. I, I mean, okay, fine, whatever. Or, or, or going and get, investing your money, what portion of your portfolio do you want to invest in the advancement of the Great Commission? That, that kind of implies you can have a portion of your portfolio that's not invested in the Great Commission. And I would say yeah. every single thing that we do, even if it's going to Yankee games, even if it's we're planning some uh, camping trips this summer as a family, or now obviously I'm not perfect at this, right? I, I, I go, right. It, it, would be, it would be hard for me to... Uh, to say that everything I spend my money on is specifically directed at advancing the great commission. But if that's not increasingly part of my thought process and why I do what I do with my time and how I spend my money, wouldn't you say I'm missing the mark? 
Yeah, I think there's a, a couple things. First of all, I think you're probably losing eternal rewards because you're going to Yankees <clears throat> games, and I think you may want to consider other teams. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I think the other the other side of it is it, it, there's there's a freedom here. I don't think that there's you know an obligation that we need to spend every single nickel for intentional eternal impact. Now, there's some of the Puritans and some of the guys back in the day who you know, or guys like Jim Elliott who would maybe argue that you should and you should be that intentional. And so. We need to figure that out. I think the investment in your son is is definitely an eternal investment. I think that there's a great way, and I'm sure I know you guys are talking about Jesus and, and you're building trust and building his character through those trips. And so, yeah, and so you'll need to wrestle with, you know, as, as light, in light of, <clears throat> you know, what what do we do on those trips? Do we stay in a high-end hotel or maybe a little bit less or, you know, what? And I think the bigger question is how are we stewarding the overall money that God's given us? And there's freedom for us, I think, to – to have uh, fun and, and enjoyment and, and entertainment and that kind of stuff. And, you know, all of us, you know, we, we watch cable TV or we go to the movies. And, <clears throat> and so every time we do that, we're making a choice to not invest in eternal things. And yeah. I think there's a freedom there. And so you'll have to wrestle through, each individual needs to wrestle through what it is. I think that sports is a gift from God. I think entertainment is, is a gift from God. And, and I think those are good. It's just like any good thing can become an idol. And so you'll need to make sure, yeah, is this something that we're so committed to that we, we can't go on that mission strip because the Yankees are, you know, playing in Baltimore this year or whatever. So I think those are the things you'll need to kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I like it. I think it's a cool idea. Well, I, th- I just think that even you mentioned going to movies or, or buying a car or, you know, we're talking about doing a little bit of a remodel in our home, give ourselves a little bit more space. And one of the conversations my wife and I are having is what is the kingdom impact of that? If there's, if there's no kingdom impact, if, we're, if we don't have a kingdom lens on when we're thinking about spending thousands of dollars to update our house or remodel our house, or, and, and one of the things we've landed on is we want to be a place where we can, we can host more people. Okay. Yeah. And so, so there's, or we want to be a place where when our kids are grown and married and they have their own kids where they want to come spend time with us and there's some space right. for everyone to kind of spread out a little bit. So yeah. um, I, I'm trying to be increasingly disciplined, even when it's the, the little stuff like going out for lunch or, or um, getting a different vehicle. We had an opportunity to buy another vehicle a few months ago. And, and I want to have the conversation, like what's the kingdom value of this? Not be legalistic, not be dogmatic, not be self-righteous. Oh, look at us. We did an addition on our house for the sake of the kingdom, and everyone else is a pagan and, 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 a, and a schmuck because they didn't. But I, I think we want to push people to that, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's the right question. I think, I think most people don't ever even consider that. I think it's like, I'd like an addition. I'm going to do an addition. Can we afford it? Yes, no. But they don't bring into the, the conversation what is the kingdom impact of this? What's the opportunity cost for the kingdom of this? And, and so it needs to be, you know, God, what have you called us to? And so if you have a gift of hospitality and you're hosting people and in your home and, and you can bless different folks uh, in that way, then by all means, I think that can be a great thing. I have many friends who have these huge homes and they use them well. They have people mm-hmm. that live in those homes, um, you know, who need housing for short periods of time. They, they host uh, events for missions, organizations. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can do that kind of thing. If you're like, I want a bigger house so my neighbors think I'm cool and I just get some more space, we need to wonder, okay, have I run this through the grid of, in light of eternity, what do I want to do with this? Mm-hmm. What, what's going to bring the most glory to God? And, and I think the biggest thing that I encourage people, and that I think is probably the theme in the book that I've been talking to a lot of people, is what is your kingdom vision? What is it that ultimately you want to see God do through you? 
And so your kingdom vision will drive all those other determiners. There's, there's kind of a, if you think about you have this objective and then there's parameters that are going to help you achieve that particular goal. So if my goal is to be the wealthiest guy in the world, that means I'm going to sacrifice relationships. I'm going to sacrifice. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot on myself. I'm going to just focus on accumulation. I'm going to choose investments that have the maximum ROI, regardless of their impact in anybody's lives. You know, that's one grid that many people have. And so you can look, the activities and the choices are guarded are, are um, you know, they have the, 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 the lanes or the edges are just determined by that objective. And I think in the same way, if I have a kingdom objective, that's going to make me think about my holidays maybe slightly different. Maybe I'll do a holiday where I can do some missions on the way in, or I'll take a week, a year to go and do some missions. Or maybe I'm going to um, go on a, go camping because it's a little bit less expensive than that, you know, Port of Ireland cruise or whatever, and I can then invest that money in some kingdom stuff. So it's it's really really what is God calling you to do? Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that you're asking those questions is the most important thing. Uh, and I think if we can just develop that habit of thinking eternally, and then in light of God's priorities in our life and His Lordship over my life, and and in light of eternity, how do I want to do these things? So I think that's excellent. One of the things that's dicey about talking to people about money from the perspective of people who are raising money for specific organizations is that it can feel a little bit disingenuous, like you're just trying to get at them to get money for your thing. And one of the things that I feel like I've been able to see you do is rise above that. I mean, because first of all, when you set set up a $100 million foundation, I mean, there's not any single organization that needs even close to that, right? Right, right. I mean, maybe. Samaritan's Purse or maybe Crew Globe, but, but but your whole point isn't I'm trying to raise money for my thing. You're trying to right. unleash people to see a kingdom vision and to to, to in whatever God in, in whatever way that God has wired them and led them and and uh, directed them to get involved in in whatever area or organization or ministry or church without a bias toward your own stuff. God's perfect. Right. God's providing for you and in, in, in the stuff you're involved with. Now let's go beyond that and let's go bigger. So I want you to think about if somebody's listened to this and, and, you know, frankly, whether there's someone like me who doesn't make tons of money, but still has some disposable income that I can make some decisions with, but I don't maybe yeah. know where, you know, maybe it's a few thousand bucks a year but I'm not really sure what I should be doing with that. Or, or maybe I'm a gazillionaire and I have several million dollars a year that I need to allocate. Um, walk somebody through, how do they start to discern what God's calling them to invest in financially? Yeah, I think, I think one of it is um, the idea of um, uh, thinking about long, I think it's important to think about some long-term goals. So God, over my lifetime, I would like to be involved in giving X amount of dollars. I talked to a donor the other day and, and I said, uh, how much, uh, I said, I'm just curious. I said, we know each other very well. We've known each other for 20 years. And I said, would you be willing to tell, kind of take a guess of how much money you've given over your lifetime? And he said, $32 million. I was like, Whoa. I said, I'm struck by two things. One, that's a large number, but I'm struck that you know what that number is. And he says, yeah, we have some objectives that we're trying to hit and, and some longer term goals. And so we, we, you know, we've set some different goals. So that, that can be helpful and it's attractive to say, hey, one of the targets I want to aim for is not just how much can I accumulate, but how much can I disperse for the kingdom. The second thing is, I think, to um, really think about the things that are close to your heart. Um, are there nations that kind of grab your heart? Um, you know, for example, maybe you've, 
you've holidayed in Latin America. And so maybe that would be an area that you want to invest in. Or maybe you, uh, your family is, comes from Russia, and so you have a heart for Russia. Or as you read the news, um, you, you look at some of these countries that your heart just bleeds for. Or, uh, co- you know, contrasting that, some countries that you just almost despise because you look at just how wicked and evil the leaders are mm. now. Well, maybe you start investing in those types of places because the gospel will ultimately change those cultures. Mm. So I think that there's a number of things. And I also look at, you know, what are the things that I love? If I, if I have a real passion for, for leaders, well, I want to invest in ministries like Christian Embassy that works with ambassadors and members of parliament or a leader impact that works with marketplace leaders. If I've got a heart for the poor, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start focusing in, um, you know, world vision or compassion or our, our global aid network. And so there's, there's a number of things that I think that I, I want to try to help people unlock where they give. So I think, Matt, a lot of people give reactively. Mm. I think that what they do is they wait for someone, guys like you and me, to come and talk to them and say, tell me what you got. And then they give some money there. And I think a lot of people kind of grow tired of giving to that. And sometimes they grow bitter because there's an endless list. I think the solution to that is to give more proactively mm. and to say, where are the areas that I want to give to, which also that puts some, some guardrails there. These are the areas I'm not going to invest in. So my wife and I, we don't give to my alma mater. Um, I, I like Baylor a lot. I'm a big Baylor football fan, but that doesn't drive me that much. I want to see people one to Christ around the world and, and I can give directly to some ministries that are doing that. So I think having some of those clear um, areas of, of interest, um, having some clear goals of what you'd like to give towards, and then really kind of looking at what are the, the types of um, demographics that grab my heart, and then moving towards that with intentionality versus just kind of waiting around for whoever's going to ask you for the next million bucks. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that uh, there are some organizations that help Christians figure out how to give, but right. there are fewer that help Christians know where to give based on the grid or the, the filter that they've kind of run through in their own minds and hearts. Yeah, that's something I'm kind of playing with right now. I'm, I'm working with some donors um, who I've been talking to. So groups like National Christian Foundation or, or other um, in Canada, there's a Abundance Canada or Canadian National Christian Foundation. They do a great job on the how to give. And so they'll help people to figure out how to you know, arrange your finances so that you can maximize your giving. There's an outstanding organization I mentioned earlier called Generous Giving, which does a great job of just helping you know wealthy people discern how to give. And it's, it's, they don't talk about where at all. Um, but I do think there's an opportunity for the where. I think there's a lot of people that um, are um, maybe not as, as well informed about opportunities around the world. Um, I think that there's um, people that, um, you know, again, I think they're, they're, they're giving because X, Y, Z organizations knocked on their door. I've got one donor, for example, who said, you know, at the end of the year, I I get a bunch of letters and I cry and then I write checks. And I thought, well, I don't know that's the most strategic (laughs) way to give money. I said, it's really compassionate way of giving money. That's cool. Um, um, But, you know, I think that I said, you know, what I'd love you to do is to really think strategically about what are some areas that you really want to make a significant impact on. Maybe you want to move the needle on a particular world problem, like, Mm. like hunger or, or Bible, you know, places that don't have scripture or, um, you know, things like that. And so um, that's where I really want to try to encourage more people that with that intentionality to start thinking about where am I giving? And then, you know, there's a really interesting statistic that um, evangelicals around the world make $7 trillion a year. That's what the T. Wow. Um, we give 
$45 billion of that to missions, which is 0.6%. Mm. So we give 0.6% to missions. And then to the, the missions that's going to those people that have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, etc. Um, there's about 3 billion people like that on the planet. We give $450 million a year. Well, that's not going to get the job done. And so what I'm helping some donors is to figure out how do I get my money to go to those 3 billion people who haven't heard. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another part of the where to start looking at where are some opportunities where the money is not flowing that I can invest strategically to help people uh, get involved. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that drives me nuts, you know, that comes to mind is you've got a choice to give Christian dollars to an organization that just does humanitarian work, but maybe it's some denominational organization that, that has lost its way. And so they're doing water wells or they're feeding the hungry, but it's in no way, shape or form connected to the gospel. Or if it's connected to the gospel, right. it's some universalistic garbage that's not biblical. Or you can give your money to something like Samaritan's Purse. I mean, I've been watching Samaritan's Purse during coronavirus, during tornado recovery. These guys are killing it. They're doing, they're doing humanitarian aid. They do disaster relief with the best of them. And you can assure yourself that they are faithful to the gospel. They're using, they're using these services as a platform to share the gospel. Yet we're still, I see money being dumped into these other organizations instead of gospel focused ones. And I think we need to correct that. Yeah. I think it's good that people, again, that's, that's running it through that kingdom impact grid, you know, is, is, is the money that I'm investing. It's sure it's helping the poor, but if there's another organization that's doing the exact same type of work, providing water, providing food for these people, you know, job training, and that other organization also talks about Jesus, well, I want to prioritize that. And I think that I encourage everybody to really think intentionally about that. And the other thing just to relate to that, excuse me, is that I think um, there's also what I would call blue chip organizations, ministry organizations. Sorry about that. Um, There's blue chip uh, organizations. And I think there's kind of more startup um, investments. Um, Mm. And so there's some ministries, for example, like Samaritan's Purse or a camp, uh, a crew or a world vision, or, um, you know, a compassion groups, groups like that. They've been around for 30, 40 years Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're fantastic. Um, and so, um, you may want to invest in there. Sometimes those startups, they they have some really good ideas and they're, and they're touching areas where the others aren't. Mm -hmm. So what's helpful, I think is to say, okay, where, where am I comfortable investing in? But also if there's some startups, making sure you're doing that due diligence. Um, there's a lot of these smaller organizations, that are really good. And if you do the due diligence, you're going to find out they're excellent, you know, check out, make sure they have a good board. They have accountability. They're, they're, they're doing what they say they're doing, but there's a lot of them out there that just aren't that good. They're just good at selling stuff mm-hmm. and they, they maybe have, um, you know, don't invest the money as well. Their ministry is not as effective. So, so I encourage people, first of all, to look for, you know, groups that are kingdom advancing that they can invest in. And then second of all, groups that are actually doing what they're saying they're going to do. And, and again, I, for me, my wife and I, we tend to invest in blue chips um, mm-hmm. because um, we believe that those guys, they've got a good track record. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to get you uh, to Iowa one of these days to uh, kind of Would love that in person, share a little bit about this book you've written about some of the experiences <clears throat> and, and insights that you've had that we've been talking about. I, I got to give you one tip. Just if you take a little bit of correction from me, you got to get a better autograph to sign books with. I mean, this is straight garbage. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason I type, bro. I had you sign all these books, and I was like, wait a minute. Is that Greg's signature? I never even looked at it. That's terrible. 
Well, that's what I practiced when I was going to go to the uh, the NBA. I had to make sure I worked on a really illegible uh, autograph. So that's what you got. Hey, I appreciate your time here, Greg. I'm sure everybody who's listened appreciates it. And uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but can I put you on the spot? Just ask you to kind of close this out with prayer. Love that. Yeah. Lord, I thank you for this ministry that's been around for so many years and uh, has, has impacted so many people through its radio, et cetera. And I pray that you would uh, really bless the leadership as Matt is, is given some new leadership to it. I pray that there'd be some innovation um, and some creativity. Uh, you'd broaden their reach and expand their impact. Lord, I pray that, uh, the people that have listened today would be ministered to. Uh, Lord, the stuff that Matt and I shared that's no good, I pray that they would completely forget it. <laughs> and the stuff that is of value and from you, that that, that would uh, drive deeply into their hearts. And so, Lord, I pray you'd continue to protect um, both Matt and his family and the listeners uh, from the corona. Lord, we pray that you would, one, um, bring this to an end soon. But, Lord, use this, Jesus, to <laughs> open the hearts to the gospel all over the world and that we could reap a harvest in this next six months like we've never seen before. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you that you are in control. Ultimately, you're good and have a plan um, to, uh, to bless us. So I just want to thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.